Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW Sean Fain trashes Stellantis' contract proposal, literally. Honda's profits surge on booming U.S. sales, and Rivian won't follow EV rivals into a price war. Plus, Volvo has found a way to sidestep expensive U.S. tariffs on vehicles made in China. Our own Irvash Kakaria joins us to explain. This kind of program is is a no-brainer. I mean, Volvo is bringing the EX30 to the U.S. next year, and it's going to be the least expensive Volvo ever produced. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. UAW President Sean Fain isn't having it with Stellantis' early bargaining proposal. Fain criticized the offer as a slap in the face to members before throwing a copy of the document in a garbage can during a live stream on Facebook last night. When we get things like this from the company and they want to sit there and talk about they're not asking for concessions or looking for concessions, everything they're looking for in this document is about concessions. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do with, with their proposal. I'm going to file it in its proper place because that's where it belongs, the trash, because that's what it is. Fain said Stellantis is seeking cuts to medical coverage, threatening profit-sharing payouts, refusing to reopen the idled Belvedere assembly plant, and insisting on keeping a two-tier wage system, among other concessions from workers. Last week, Fain detailed the union's demands, which include more than 40% raises over the five-year contract and a 32-hour work week. Honda's net income more than doubled to $2.5 billion in its fiscal first quarter. A more steady flow of semiconductors fed North American production and boosted the Japanese automaker. Global sales increased 11% to more than 900,000 vehicles in the quarter, as revenue rose 21% to $32 billion. Operating profit jumped 78% to $2.7 billion in the quarter that ended June 30th. That's up more than a billion dollars from a year earlier. A Honda finance executive said the U.S. economy remains in good shape and overall demand exceeds supply. But he also warned about signs of softening, including a decline in household savings rates and a slight uptick in delinquent loan payments. Rivian thinks it will continue to see strong demand for its R1T pickup and R1S crossover, and it will not join EV rivals such as Tesla and Lucid in cutting prices to stimulate sales. That's what CEO RJ Scaringe had to say on the startup's second quarter earnings call Tuesday. Rivian raised its production forecast for the year to 52,000 vehicles. That's up 2,000 from its previous forecast. That includes the EDV electric delivery vans that Rivian makes for Amazon. The startup reported a $1.2 billion net loss compared with Red Inc. of $1.7 billion during the same quarter last year, so that's some improvement. Revenue tripled to $1.1 billion. The company also said it expects a smaller operating loss in 2023. And as America becomes a nation of older cars, technicians and the aftermarket may see boom times. That's according to a new analysis by S&P Global Mobility. The average light vehicle age currently stands at a record high 12 and a half years. That surpasses what S&P Global Mobility considers the quote repair business sweet spot of 6 to 11 years old. Vehicles 12 and 13 years old are now becoming a bigger part of the automotive repair business. Because of this, 
S&P says the aftermarket is likely to see growth in repair and maintenance work as older cars will see more miles driven than traditionally expected. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, you weren't exaggerating when you said we're in silly times when it comes to early <laughs> UAW negotiations. What's the deal with President Sean Fain throwing away the Stellantis proposal on Facebook Live? Isn't this about negotiating? It will be about negotiating. Right now, it's more about posturing. You know, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching uh, with my daughter. We watched the movie Evita, and it sort of reminds me, you know, it's, it's Juan Perón ripping off his shirt, you know, with the workers. Um, it's, you know, it's about demonstrating, you know, his disgust, showing that he is going to be tough with Stellantis, uh, with any automaker, but especially with Stellantis. Remember, it was, you know, Stellantis, Forbear, Fiat Chrysler that was really the origin of a lot of the UAW scandal. And he wants to show he's not on the take. He is not working for the management. He is against the management and for his people. I would presume that he takes a different tone when he's actually in the meetings, is firm but reasonable. Uh, but for Facebook, that is for whipping up the troops. Yeah, he reminded me of like Stone Cold Steve Austin in WWE <laughs> in like the late 90s. I was waiting for him at the end to just go, let me get a hell yeah, because he sounded like a wrestling promo. Jeez Louise. Uh, coming up, we'll hear from automotive news reporter Irvash Kakaria about how Volvo is finding a way around U.S. tariffs on cars made in China. That's next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Volvo and its EV startup Polestar will be tapping into an old U.S. trade program to import Chinese vehicles at a lower cost. The duty drawback program allows businesses to claim a refund on the U.S. tariffs on vehicles from China when offset by certain exports in the same tariff classification. Our own Irvash Karkaria covers Volvo cars for Automotive News. He broke the story for us yesterday. He and I talked about how Volvo plans to use the program and how big of a competitive edge it will give the Swedish automaker. I reached him at his office in Atlanta. Irvash Karkaria, welcome back to Daily Drive. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. <laughs> well, you had a big story out yesterday. For several years, since 2018, the U.S. has had a 25% tariff on autos imported from China, but you wrote that Volvo sees a way around those duties, or at least a way to get uh, get its money back after it pays the tariffs. How does that work? Yeah, so Volvo is using a program called the Duty Drawback Program that's based on one of America's oldest uh, trade programs or trade laws. And it essentially allows a company to import an item, pay the duties, and then when they export a finished product, uh, then they could basically reclaim the duties as well as any tariffs that, that they've paid on the import itself. In 2018, the program was modernized and made a little more flexible. The original intent was to bring in a part, use it to manufacture a finished good, and then export the finished good. 
Now with the modernized version, uh, the U.S. government allows a company to bring in a part and then export a completely different part as long as they share a what's called a tariff classification number. So it's a specific number. So it could be in the case of Volvo, they are planning to bring in the Volvo EX30 and the Polestar 2, which are two vehicles going to be made in China. The Polestar 2 is already being built in China. So they're going to import those cars, and then they're going to offset those imports with exports of the U.S.-made EX90 and the Polestar 3 that go into production next year. Any, any duties or tariffs that they've paid on the imports, they'll be able to claim back once they start exporting. So do those exports have to go to China? No, that's the interesting thing. The exports don't have to go to China. They just have to go to a non-USMCA country, so essentially overseas, not Canada and not Mexico. So this seems like kind of a no-brainer. I mean, a great way to avoid a, a pretty hefty tax. Uh, why doesn't everyone do it? Well, for one, not many automakers are importing from China. Besides Volvo and Polestar, so far, GM is the only uh, sort of major automaker that's bringing in China-made vehicles with the Buick Envision. And next year, Ford is going to start doing it with the uh, Nautilus, the Lincoln Nautilus. Uh, I checked with GM, and they confirmed that they are also using the drawback program to bring in the uh, Envision. But they indicated maybe they're not uh, not able to offset all of the tax credits. Correct. All of the they duties said that, that they, they pay were all the offsetting a small portion, a small portion of the the credit. Again, I guess it depends on you know uh, how many exports do they have to match against the Envision imports. You'd think that they'd have enough exports. But not a lot of exporting out of North America. That that makes some sense. That's probably true. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for these automakers, this 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 kind of program is is a no brainer. I mean, Polestar. I'm sorry, Volvo is bringing the EX30 uh, to the U.S. next year, and it's going to be the least expensive Volvo ever produced at, or at least you know, in production. And it's a it's a thirty-six thousand dollar crossover, compact crossover. And, uh, you know, I asked uh, the, the CEO, Volvo car CEO, uh, Bjorn Anwal, uh, earlier this year about whether the $36,000 price includes the tariff. And he kind of alluded to it. He said, you know, the price we are giving is the price consumers are going to pay. And he kind of alluded to a tariff scheme without going into details uh, uh, as a way to, to make this happen. Well, if you think about a $36,000 vehicle, right, a 25% tariff, that's $9,000, makes it more like a $45,000 car. You're competing against a right. whole different class, almost two classes up. And it, it strikes me, I mean, this is like a bigger break than, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, $7,500 uh, is a lot, uh, but this is even more. And that's on one of the, on the cheapest car Volvo makes. Right, right. And in terms of the other the other benefit of this program is that it's retroactive. So what Volvo is going to do is it's going to claim the tariffs and the import duties that it's been that it has already paid on bringing the Polestar 2 sedan, which has been on the market since I believe 2021. So they're going to offset all that money that they've already paid on the Polestar 2s. They're going to get it back once the EX90 and the Polestar 3 start getting exported next year. So it's kind of a retroactive uh, a benefit. So therefore, even more competitive.
As you said, uh, they've got basically five years to make the exports to make up for whatever is imported. To claim against, exactly, five years, right. You know, to some people, this is going to sound like a, like a loophole or a, an error in policy, but it sounds like, you know, really the, the upshot is to help ensure that, you know, Volvo's plant in uh, South Carolina gets more fully utilized. It's really been chronically underused, right? Correct. Exactly. And, you know, the proponents of this uh, program, the trade program, say it's meant to incentivize exports because this only works when you can match the import that you're going to reclaim the duties on with an export. So ostensibly by making it easier to import products, and not just from China, but from anywhere, because you'd still get your duties offset on those products as well, you're, you're creating more of a case to put manufacturing here and then export some of it overseas. What is the status of that uh, plant in South Carolina? So the plant opened in the fall of 2018. It has a capacity of 150,000 vehicles annually. It's only operating at 32% right now, according to Auto Forecast Solutions. And the reason is because they're building the relatively low volume S60 sedan. And incidentally, the S60 production moved from China to the U.S. when the tariffs were imposed. It is a global export hub. Now, starting next year, Volvo is going to start building the EX90, which is the flagship electric crossover, and the Polestar 3, which is Polestar's first uh, crossover. And uh, that's going to significantly ramp up the capacity of that plant. I believe, according to Auto Forecast Solutions, the plant will be making about 92,000 of those EVs in 2025, calendar year 2025. Now, of course, uh, production on both the models has been delayed because of some software development uh, issues around a new platform that will underpin the two vehicles. And interestingly, one of the reasons to build these two cars in Charleston is not only to meet North American demand, but also to maximize exports so they can bring more of those other two vehicles to the U.S. And Charleston will be the global production head for uh, production center for EX90 and Polestar 3 outside of China. So we will supply the world. Well, it's been, you know, it's such a big investment for them. And to be operating, you know, 30%, 32%, you know, is a, a real setback. So the idea, you know, if they can get to full capacity, right, then we're talking about 4,000 jobs at the factory in South Carolina, up from, you know, 1,400 now. 1,800 now. 1,800 now, yeah. thank you. So that would be uh, good to see, I suppose. Absolutely. Irvox, thanks for joining me today and keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. You can find Irvox's full story on Volvo's plans to navigate around U.S. tariffs on China at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Michael Martinez, Hans Grimel, Lawrence Iliff, and Isabella Warren for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, UAW contract negotiations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the 2022 dealership buy-sell market, recent trends, and what we've seen so far in 2023. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.